Hello and welcome to Rewildology, the nature podcast that explores the human side of conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. For the first time since 2019, I had the incredible opportunity to travel back to one of my favorite places on Earth, East Africa. The purpose of my journey was to visit my works in Josie camp, meet my wonderful Tanzanian colleagues, visit newly built camps, and record hours of media for several of our conservation initiatives. In case you weren't aware, on top of hosting and running this show, I'm the director of conservation for The Wild Source, a wildlife biologist-owned, mission-based safari company that is disrupting the industry through empowerment. My last trip to Africa in September 2019 included a women in conservation trip across Tanzania with the Katie Adamson Conservation Fund, and then a two-week site inspection with my former employer, Natural Habitat Adventures, through South Africa, Botswana, and Victoria Falls. I returned from that trip a completely different person, and maybe one day I'll share with you what happened during that month-long stay in Africa. And ever since then, I've been hoping to return. Finally, the opportunity came this past March with the week's notice. My fantastic boss and mentor, Bill Given, informed me that he found great international flights, helped arrange site inspection visits, and set me up with one of our phenomenal Tanzanian guides, Sosie Mara. I left on a Thursday at 7 a.m. and arrived at the Kilimanjaro airport the following afternoon. I was transferred to Arusha, where I met Sosie, Deo, co-owner of the Wild Source Tanzania, and Ava, Deo's wife. In true Brooke fashion, I started the trip with a safari lager beer and then celebratory gin and tonic with Tanzania's local gin, Konyagi. Trust me, I always find the local liquor in moonshine everywhere I go. Lots of stories for another time. After lunch, Sosie and I loaded in his new Land Cruiser, then headed off for the bush. Once we successfully drove out of the city limits, the landscape opened, and I finally got to see why this time of year is so special. December through May is the green season in Tanzania, characterized by sporadic showers and thunderstorms. The rains turn the plains bright green with fresh grass and wildflowers. East Africa's famous wildebeest migration follows the rains, and over one million wildebeest and zebra return to the southern Serengeti to give birth to their calves and feast on the nutrient-rich Serengeti grasses. This influx of food doesn't go unnoticed. Predators have been waiting for their herd's arrival for months and also take advantage of the food surplus. If you're keeping track of time in your head, you probably realize that by this point, I'm going on almost 48 hours of, of no sleep. I am not one of those blessed people who can sleep on planes, and so by the time we arrived at Gibbs Farm two hours later, I was barely functional. I worked up enough energy to eat dinner, shower off two days of travel, then pass out to the sounds of rain and thunder. The following morning, I met the camp manager and took a tour of the stunning property. Gibbs Farm was established in the early 1900s as a coffee plantation by a German duke then purchased after World War II by James and Margaret Gibbs, 
who turned the plantation into a working farm and eventually a tourism destination. Gibbs now includes a 30-acre coffee plantation, and let me tell you, the coffee is to die for. A 10-acre vegetable farm, five acres of herbs and flowers, and a resident herd of cows and pigs. I love to hear that Gibbs also established an elephant corridor that allows wildlife from the Ngorgor crater to move freely in and out of the park and reach water sources, plus mineral-rich rocks called elephant caves. After breakfast, Sosi and I loaded up in his land cruiser and headed to Ndutu in the southern Serengeti. To get there, we drove along the Ngorgor crater rim, stopping for photos and a wildlife check at the crater lookout. Ngorgor was named by Maasai pastoralists as an onomatopoeia of the cowbells they used to keep track of their livestock and has a long geological and human history. The Ngorgor crater is one of eight extinct volcanoes within the Pliocene Ngorgor volcano group and is, quote, the world's largest inactive, intact, and unfilled volcanic caldera, end quote. Now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Ngorgor Conservation Area has undergone many, many waves of strict protection to removal of human settlements and now is one of the last remaining places that allows Maasai pastoralists to continue their traditional way of life. As we descended the crater's walls, the plains opened, and for the first time, I saw pockets of the great wildebeest herds that become the focal point of my trip. The scene took my breath away. I could see dark rain clouds in the distance, and soon we were driving through heavy downpours. I loved every second of it. The landscape began to change as our drive continued. The closer we got to Ndutu, the more trees appeared and the wildlife began to change as well. We saw a large herd of giraffes, complete with a rare set of twins, with both calves trying to suckle their mother. Dripping wet black long-crested eagles, marabou storks, white-backed vultures, tawny eagles, and bright southern red bishop birds graced us from above. All of these sightings were spectacular. But the encounter that won the day was with an elephant family just before we arrived at camp. A rambunctious teenager fueled up on all kinds of hormones was running around like a wild man, going from family member to family member, making all sorts of noise. The herd had two little surprises, including a newborn calf that could still walk underneath its mother. As the herd meandered away from us, we continued driving and headed to Njozi camp. We pulled into camp with a double rainbow and a tawny eagle overhead. I couldn't have been more ecstatic. Finally, I was back in the bush, and Mother Nature welcomed me back with open arms. I was then greeted by our incredible Tanzania team and had just enough time for a quick bucket shower before heading back to the main tent for dinner and music around the campfire. That night, I fell asleep to zebra just outside of my tent and hyenas calling in the valley in front of camp. I hadn't slept so well in months. Now that I was at Njozi camp, it was time for the real fun to begin. For the next four days, we departed camp before sunrise and didn't return until after sunset. The things I saw were straight out of a wild documentary. The following morning began a sunrise with migratory flamingos feasting on microscopic phytoplankton in Lake Ndutu. Driving further, we heard the characteristic call of an eagle owl and successfully found not one, but two owls cuddled up together in a tree. 
Then we were off to find the loves of my life, big cats. First, we found two big lion males of the marsh pride snoozing away in a tall bush. Following, we exited the trees and headed out onto the vast plains in search of cheetahs. During our wanderings, we came across a coalition of five young males with manes barely large enough to call them adults. The plains are a no-man's land, an area for these males to grow, gain strength, and in time, challenge the established males with prime habitat tucked within the trees. One can only watch sleeping cats for so long, so we ventured off again in search of cheetahs. Success. Tucked behind a tall bush lay a beautiful female cheetah. Yusuf, one of the wild sources resident biologists at Njozi Camp who studies Serengeti big cats, decided to name the female after me. Little did he know that the landscape in which we found her was the meaning of my name. A brook flowing through a flowering meadow. Tears filled my eyes. I am not an emotional person, but I was so moved by the moment that I could barely contain myself from losing it. With the number of hardships that have befallen me in the past year, in that moment I knew I was right where I needed to be. Sitting in a land cruiser with two phenomenal humans watching a gorgeous cheetah named Brooke. I knew the trip was only going to go up from here. And holy crap, did it go up! The following morning, we left camp the same as the previous day, before sunrise, to see what wildlife was out and about. Not too long into our drive, we found two males and two females from the backyard pride out on morning patrol. Yusuf informed me that there were three additional males in this pride that must be out doing patrols in other parts of their territory. If only all five males were together because the series of events that happened next were straight out of a BBC film. As we were following the pride partaking in their morning ritual, we looked into the distance and spotted a massive male hippo that hadn't yet made his way to the lake. A dangerous decision. We weren't the only creatures in the bush that spotted the hippo. The two lion males did as well. The behavior of the pride flipped on a dime, and they switched from casually meandering along the lake shoreline to hunting mode. I hope one day scientists will understand nonverbal communication because the males were clearly communicating to the females who were a quarter mile away, asking them to join the hunt. Sosie and Yusuf inferred that the lead female was pregnant and the hunt was too risky for the future of the pride. So she and her daughter kept their distance and watched. At this point, the hippo had spotted the lions and knew he was in imminent danger. The two males began to stalk and slowly approach. Male lions have the rather undeserved reputation of being lazy and relying solely on the females for their meals. As I witnessed time and time again, this just isn't true. The males are vital for taking down prey of this size and protecting their pride from other males. It was a standoff. The hippo carefully emerged from the tall grass and stared at the lions only a few feet away. In what seemed like a moment of courage and determination, the hippo bolted with both male lions springing after it. Fortunately for the hippo, only two of the five males were present, and he dragged both full-grown lions all the way to the water's edge, a distance of at least 300 meters. The hippo crashed into the water, looked at the lions, and started spraying his poop in a territorial display. After the lions accepted defeat, they went off in an apparently great mood, giving each other headbutts, splashing through water, and licking each other's manes. 
After this rather impressive show of strength and dedication, Sosie and Yusuf officially named the Coalition of Males Wakazi, which means residence in Swahili. They made it obvious to us, and I'm sure all other lions in Ndutu, that they were here to stay. We also decided it was time to move on and see what else the bush had to offer this morning. Next, we found the Marsh Pride male lions panting in the sun and taking long drinks at the creek that flowed through the territory. Sosie and Yusuf received reports that the Pride's famous matriarch, Laura, had a newborn cub tucked away in a den nearby. Yusuf had seen her moving at least one cub during a previous safari, so we knew if we stayed with her, we might see her tiny babies. David, another of our team's biologist guides, was with us, and he and his traveler stayed with Laura to see if she would lead us to her den while we went off in search of interesting sightings. Nothing of note appeared, and David radioed Sosie and informed us that Laura had indeed led them to her den. We joined David's vehicle on the side of a ravine covered in thick bush and trees. I could barely see into the den and use all of my flexibility and strength to hold myself onto the roof. Then, for one brief moment, I saw the spotted noggin of a newborn lion cub and I gasped. I had never seen such a tiny cub in the wild before. Laura was clearly a well-seasoned mother, as I couldn't tell if she had any additional cubs and could only see just her foot barely inside. We decided to leave her be and depart the area before any other vehicle saw where we were. Next, we found a rather fun critter, a leopard tortoise, making its way from one side of the woodland to the other. We stopped for some photography shots, although the tortoise refused to cooperate and would turn away from us even though we were very, very far away. After a few shots, we continued on our day. As we were driving around, Laura emerged from her den and began scanning the area. Clearly, she was hungry and needed to hunt. Sosie, Yusuf, and David immediately recognized her behavior and parked several hundred meters away near a wildebeest herd that offered her the perfect opportunity for a meal. Our guides are some of the best in all of Tanzania at identifying cat behavior, predicting their course of action, and never impeding in the cat's actions. The three of us talked about everything under the sun, laughed a ton, ate our lunch, and sat through two massive thunderstorms as we watched Laura stalk the herd, silently moving from one form of cover to another. Then, after the second thunderstorm, the herd moved up into the woodland and Laura followed. We knew we needed to follow if we were to see her hunt. David and Sosie found a safe passage across the now raging creek and ventured up into the woodland. It took us only a few minutes to find her. In the little amount of time it took us to cross the creek and drive into the trees, she had taken down a full-grown wildebeest, killed it, and already had its belly open. This lady was a professional killing machine. We stayed with her until dusk as she feasted on her kill. As with all of our cast sightings, Yusuf wrote down the sighting data, including GPS points to return the next day. As the sun set, we left Laura and her meal, knowing that tonight her cubs would also eat well. The following morning, we departed before sunrise, loaded down with breakfast, lunch, and boundless enthusiasm after yesterday's incredible sightings. Today was about the plains. On our way out of the woodlands, we found the three other massive Wakazi males out on morning patrol. Well, 
Two of the three didn't seem that interested in patrolling. They preferred playing and buddying up with each other, while the lead male, a gorgeous lion with a light blonde mane, kept the two moving forward and marking their territory as they went. Once they arrived back to the water's edge, they laid down for a morning rest after what was probably a long night. Lions are mostly active at night, and we caught them at the end of their patrol. After they bedded down, we headed out to the open Serengeti. Back in Cheetah Country, we all had our binoculars at the ready and began scanning the endless plains for signs of activity. We spotted a small cluster of safari vehicles and headed that way. Once we arrived, we saw the interest of the group. A newly independent female cheetah had taken down a Thompson's gazelle calf and was devouring it as quickly as she could before others spotted her. When she finished, she bedded down in the tall grasses for a well-deserved rest, and we went off looking for more cats. In our quest, we took dramatic photos of stunning thunderclouds over the plains with zebra in the forefront, endangered East African crown cranes, and, once again, found the coalition of five young lion males. After so much photography and no additional cats to be seen, we headed back towards camp. On day six of my trip, I was supposed to leave in Josie and head to a camp that our U.S. team hadn't experienced before. Unfortunately for them, the recent rains had flooded the river so high that their main tent was underwater and the crossing to their camp was impassable. While I was disappointed to no longer be able to visit the camp, the change of plans meant we had another full day in Ndutu before moving on to the central and eastern regions of the Serengeti. We took full advantage of the opportunity. The day afforded us with another unforgettable big cat experience. We were still in pursuit of more cheetah sightings and ventured out onto the plains. Sosie got in contact with one of his close guide friends who had already spotted a cheetah. We met up with him and much to our delight, he found a super mom cheetah with three healthy nine-month-old cubs. This super mother had somehow raised and protected her cubs for almost a full year, and now that her offspring were easily two-thirds her size, they could outrun any predator that might wish to cause them harm. While these cubs were in the clear of hyenas and lions, they had not yet developed the ability to hunt. Judging by their narrow stomachs, our super cheetah mother needed to catch some food soon. After a couple of romp sessions, morning stretches, and drinks in a nearby puddle, Supermom got up to look for a meal with her three boisterous teenagers in tow. So seeing Yusuf scanned the plains for any potential meals and found a group of Thompsons and Grants Gazelles, or G&Ts as claimed by the team, and positioned our land cruiser completely removed from the group of cheetahs so as to not alert the gazelles of the presence. Unfortunately for the cats, the wind changed and the gazelle saw the approaching danger and moved off. Supermom had to continue her search for food. Scanning the horizon once more, Sosie spotted a second group of GNTs that were not aware of the cat's presence. As before, he's positioned our vehicle to watch the scene unfold without disturbing the cat's behavior. Supermom slowly made her approach and melted into the tall grass. It was afternoon by this point, and all of the other vehicles had returned to camp for lunch leaving this entire incredible sighting to ourselves. With some unknown cue, Supermom told her cubs to wait and all three crouched down, safely out of view of the gazelles. 
Supermom approached the small herd until she was about 100 meters from a grand gazelle and its calf. Then, in an instant, she sprinted towards the gazelle at full speed, tripping the mother gazelle and somehow grabbing its throat in mid-air as it tumbled to the ground. The three cubs leaped with excitement and ran over to their mother to celebrate the kill. As Supermom was asphyxiating the kill, she gave the gazelle to her cubs to practice their killer bite. While these scenes are always brutal to watch, I found it fascinating and endearing, quite frankly, to see this dedicated mother actively teach her babies how to be proper cheetahs. They didn't quite have their kill by figured out, and so Supermom had to step back in to finish the job. Then she sat down to rest, panting heavily while her cubs dove into the fresh meat. Just as the cheetah family started eating, a powerful thunderstorm came rolling through, drenching the cats and affording me some of the most dramatic wildlife photos I've ever taken. Four cheetahs devouring a gazelle on the bright green Serengeti plains, surrounded by wildflowers, soaked in rain, and lit up by flashes of lightning. I was blown away. Once the rains departed and the cheetah family had their fill, we let them be and headed back to camp knowing that tomorrow will be full of new adventures and new areas. This morning, I said goodbye to my wonderful colleagues at Njozi Camp, and then Sosi, Yusuf, and I headed northeast through the famous Serengeti National Park, searching for wildlife as we went. Since we had to get to the next camp, we didn't have many opportunities to go out of our way looking for animals. But we did have a surprise serval sighting right next to the road in central Serengeti. Moving onwards, we arrived at Lamala Nanyuki Lodge just before sunset. Nanyuki is a camp within Lamala's luxury collection, and boy, is it luxurious. It reminded me of some of the luxury camps I stayed at in Botswana. The lodge was beautiful. The main tent had a fully equipped bar, lots of comfy couches to mingle at, and a walkout fireplace in a pool. The dining area was also luxurious and huge, much bigger than the small camps I was used to. I was escorted to my tent by a Maasai guardsman, as Nanyuki has a resident lion pride that loves to bask on the kopi surrounding camp. My tent was huge, complete with a private plunge pool and outdoor shower, both of which I was sure to use. Sosi, Yusuf, and I ended the night with cocktails at the bar, then I sat down for an indulgent meal and passed out so hard that night. For day eight, we had one goal, a cat trick. A cat trick coined by my boss and founder of the Wild Source, Bill Gibbon, is when all three African big cats are spotted in one day. If you follow hockey or soccer, then you've probably heard of a hat trick, which is what inspired Bill to come up with the term cat trick. With three big cat biologists in the vehicle and Sosie's years of experience spotting leopards in this part of the park, we knew we had a decent probability of succeeding. The first ones out of camp, we ventured off into an area with scattered tall trees, tall grasses, and lots of open land. The perfect leopard habitat. Much to our delight, we found a gorgeous male leopard in his prime, going about his morning routine, checking out his territory, and smelling who might have come through in the night. I had never seen a leopard in tall green grass and gorgeous wildflowers and had a blast photographing him as he went about his day. Then, his behavior abruptly changed and he became more excited. We thought that maybe he had smelled a female in estrus and was trying to locate her. 
His movements became more erratic, and then he looked over the tall grass and started running away from us towards whatever he had seen. Looking through our binoculars, we thought he saw another leopard and followed him in excitement. Maybe he sniffed out a female and had plans on copulation. We couldn't have predicted what happened next. As we dashed parallel to his movements, we quickly realized that he wasn't running towards a leopard, but to a mother cheetah and her sub-adult cub. My heart leaped out of my chest. Were we about to witness this leopard kill one or both cheetahs? Much to our surprise, the mother cheetah and male cub saw the leopard approaching them with an aggressive posture and they went after him. Not only did they not run away, but they stood their ground. What were we watching? The mother began circling the leopard to keep his attention away from her cub. Once the leopard realized his surprise attack didn't work, he laid down, and the two cheetahs began lunging toward the big male, trying to harass him away. The harassment worked because the leopard stood up and began walking back to where he came from. Then the cheetahs started chasing him. They ran him all the way back to his tree and then dashed away once they knew they were safe. Ego slightly bruised, the male went up into his tree and gave me some classic leopard shots. Then we left in search of lions to complete our cat trick. Much to our delight, we found a lone female lioness hanging out at a watering hole a few minutes away. By 10.45 a.m., we successfully had a cat trick, which might be the earliest our team has ever gotten one. We were over the moon and could barely speak between wows, oh my gods, and laughs of disbelief. After lunch, we found a large lion pride resting in the sun after gorging on a buffalo, followed by playful hyenas swimming in a lake and a flashy Cory Bustard showing off his best strut for the local females. Phew, are you still with me? I'm a long ways into this trip report and I haven't even discussed getting stuck in the marsh near Lions, two additional camps, Lions Paw Camp and Okiri Camp, Tirangiri National Park, or the Ngorogoro Crater. Maybe I'll save those for another time or schedule a happy hour with you all to swap stories. I wanted to move on to a few questions submitted by Katie Prop regarding the trip. Katie is the Conservation Education Director for Penguins International and introduced me to Michelle LaRue, so thanks again for that connection, Katie. Michelle's episode did really well. Katie asked, and I'm going to go a little bit more off the cuff with these. First, what surprised you the most? Okay, what surprised me the most? Honestly, the green season. Green season has by far become my favorite time of year to visit Africa. The dramatic thunderclouds, the bright green scenery that you don't normally see in a lot of wildlife documentaries of Africa... As a photographer, the sunshine wasn't near as intense. And so even when we were out in the afternoon, I was still able to get beautiful photos of, you know, with the sun being dissipated through the clouds. So definitely green season. It wasn't too hot. Um, Yeah, I couldn't have predicted any of the wildlife sightings that I saw. Those blew my mind. I also have been to Africa before and I hadn't seen anything to that extent, which just shows the value of one being out all day in the bush, and two, having guides that know big cat predator behavior better than pretty much anyone else because they were able to predict everything that I saw, which was incredible. Okay, next. What animals did you see that maybe an average tourist might miss? So going on my the last point that I just made, I think the better way for me to answer this is the quality of sightings that I had. 
since we weren't driving around incessantly the entire time, the sightings that I had, a lot of people would have missed because they wouldn't have had the patience to sit with the predators as long as they did. So when it comes to going out to see unbelievable wildlife sightings, patience is the name of the game. If you want to see cats or other predators do cool things, then one, get a guy that knows what they're doing, and two, just sit and wait because you have no idea what's going to happen. Like, come on, two cheetahs and a leopard? We could have never predicted that. But we stayed with the leopard for a long time as these behaviors developed. Okay, next. How did the people you worked with, Sosi and Yusuf, get into their jobs and what crazy stories did they have to share? So this was kind of interesting. So um, Sosi grew up pretty much as like a, another son of Deo. They all grew up together. And Yusuf is actually Deo's son. And if you remember in the narrative that I just gave, um, Deo is the co-owner of the Wild Source Tanzania. And his two sons, Fadil, which I didn't discuss here because he wasn't a part of my trip. Fadil and Yusuf are his sons. And then Sosi and David are brothers. And they all grew up together. So beautiful thing about that, and you would never know, but the beautiful thing about that is when you're at Njozi camp, it feels like you're a part of a family. And it just makes sense because you kind of are part of a family. I had no clue that they were all related because they always keep their uh, relationships very professional with um, when, when tourists and everything are around. But that was really cool. So they have seen the power of tourism from day one, watching Deo found the wild source with Bill. Um, and he was a guide before he worked with Bill. So uh, they've been entrenched in the tourism industry since they were little kids. And probably the craziest story is I, I actually have it recorded. So one of my tasks while I was there is I sat down with um, Sosi and Gigi's Yusuf, Gigi, to record um, interviews about our Big Cat app and a lot of these Big Cat initiatives that we are doing, which I will definitely give more info on as they develop because they are very exciting. And actually, um, maybe I'll release it as bonus content, but... Sosie told the story of Laura, the lioness that I just gave a lot of information about, um, killing some of Brooke's cubs, the the cheetah, which, and they saw all of it from start to finish. So that was a crazy story, and I don't really feel like going into it myself, but I think that that one stuck in my head a lot. Just, it's so interesting when you see predators interact with each other, and understand why cheetahs are at the bottom of the of the ooh, excuse me of the predator hierarchy and it's one thing when we talk about that and we write about it in papers it's another thing when you see it in person so yeah they saw it in person and he told me the entire story and it's like a 20 minute story that I have recorded I might release that sometime what is the best part of being in the bush I mean to me all of it I'm a wildlife enthusiast. Big cats are my favorite. I'm a biologist. And I think another thing that I love that maybe some others might not get is I always ask local perspectives. So the entire time, every single day when I was riding out and about with Sosie and Gigi, I was asking them for their perspective on different things that maybe us in other parts of the world might have a different viewpoint on. But we don't live there. That's not our culture. That's not our place. So to hear what they think about certain things, I always love. And every single time I ask that, my perspectives change. Because my opinions and my viewpoints are always based on the information that I'm given. 
And so when I learn from somebody who is from a place and hear what they think about it, then I change my thoughts accordingly. What is the worst part of being in the bush? Honestly, it ending. Um, I didn't want to come back. It was so much fun. Or, but okay, a more serious one, probably seeing others not give wildlife proper space. So I will say that while our guides are top of the industry of respecting wildlife and giving them proper space and safari vehicles, not everyone is. And there isn't a standard in Tanzania or Serengeti yet, which um, Sosi hopes to see. So they are working on like some sort of like a, a guide type association thing to make standards for what guides can and can't do when they are um, with tourists in Serengeti National Park. I saw this a lot more in Asia. Um, this was definitely a bigger problem in Asia. but And I was also there in the off season, but I have visited Serengeti in the peak season. And it is crazy. It is psycho. It is cars going sideways, left and right, upside down. And there is documented cases of safari vehicles interfering with hunts, big cat behavior, higher stress levels. So that'll be great when there is proper regulation of that in the Serengeti. The moral of this story is to go. Just go. Create a budget and make travel a part of your life, especially to wild places where your money will go directly towards conserving our natural spaces. If you want tips and tricks on how to be a conservation traveler, I conveniently did a whole episode on the topic, number 91, which I have linked in this episode's description and, of course, at the website. I want to give a special thanks to Sosie and Yusuf for giving me one of the best wildlife trips of my life and to Bill for sending me to Tanzania. If you have any questions about my trip, where I went, wildlife behavior, or anything else, please reach out and ask me via email at hello at rewildology.com or asking your question in the Rewildologist Facebook group. I have a couple of announcements before wrapping up today's show. For the month of June, I'll be releasing Rewildology's Wildest Hits, Volumes 1 through 5, based on the show's most popular episodes. During that time, I'll be doing lots of work behind the scenes, adding new countries to the show through new voices, making important updates, and hopefully creating more ways for you to engage with the show and help conservation directly. To keep up with the show's shenanigans, please be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app, favorite social media app, and the Rewildology YouTube channel. Also, be sure to subscribe to the weekly newsletter at the website. One last thanks to Focusrite for powering the podcast sounds. If you'd like to see the Focusrite gear I use to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out Nature Podcasting under the Resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.